Hello, hello, this is Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. This is a celebratory episode because we're exploring what it means to bet on yourself. I've been working on Naked Beauty in the background of every corporate job I've had since 2016 when I first plugged in my microphone and open garage band to create this podcast. And I've finally decided that I'm no longer going to pursue a career in corporate and instead I'm going to work for myself. And I asked myself a series of questions about how I wanted to spend my time, really coming to terms with the fact that you're only here once, you only get one shot, you only get one opportunity, and asking myself, what would I do if I was totally unafraid, if fear completely left the conversation and I was able to manifest the life and career for myself that I wanted? And beyond a career for myself, what would it mean to create content that really resonated with people, content that was thoughtful, but also ask myself, what type of legacy am I building? So here I am now, a few weeks into working for myself. And I've worked at incredible companies, Instagram being the most recent place where I worked. I've worked there for nearly five years, and I got to bring the first video products to the platform with IGTV, which then turned into Reels. And I worked on the creator team the entire time I was there. And I got to see firsthand how these incredibly passionate, often very young people were taking their passions and turning them into a living. I really believe creators are the future of the industry. And then I also think about this podcast and all of the incredible people and founders and creatives that I've been able to interview through this very show. And what do they all have in common? They bet on themselves and they started businesses against all odds. Now, I've collected amazing mentors over my career, and I wanted to ask some of my mentors, particularly mentors that had gone from working for a company to working for themselves, for advice on how to tackle this next career pivot. And I wanted to share my mentors with all of you for this episode of Naked Beauty. So these are conversations that I probably would have been having with some of my mentors anyway, but they agreed to let me record the conversation to distribute on Naked Beauty, so I'm grateful to them for allowing me to do that. Now, I do want to say something for people that are maybe listening to this podcast while they're at their job. I am a believer in learning from a company. It's essentially getting paid while you learn on the job. And I think there's a lot of value to understanding how to structure teams and budgets and also all of the relationships that you can make while you work at a company. So if you love your job, don't think that this episode isn't for you. You never know what the future holds. And I do think that you'll find a lot of the advice still applicable. Now, for people who have been thinking about going out on their own, who have this inkling that maybe I could build something, maybe I could do something more than what I'm currently doing, I believe you are going to find this episode very inspiring. And for my entrepreneurs listening to this, my freelancers that are juggling it all, maybe you'll pick up some helpful tips too. I know I learned so much from these conversations. I think it's a lot harder than people think being on your own, but Boy, is it much more rewarding. You have to know your why. I wish I had known that in addition to seeking counsel and perspective and wisdom from other people, that I should also seek my own. You will always look back on this day and think, why didn't I do that earlier? Why why did I wait? So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, 
eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Up first, we're going to hear a conversation I have with my mom, Jerry DeVard. Now, we did this conversation while she was at Can Lions, which is a five-day gathering of all of the creative marketing industry. It's been going on since 1954, and I've actually been to Can with my mom before for this exact festival, but she was there with Becca, which is her new organization that helps to uplift and elevate the next generation of Black marketers and C-suite executives in corporate. I'm so excited for you all to hear our conversation. Let's get into it. All right, mom, welcome back to Naked Beauty. You are dialing in from your hotel room in the south of France. How's it going so far? Oh, it's going great. And you know, when you were here with me a few yes. years ago, you know all the craziness that happens on the croissette with all of the engagements and brands and companies. And yeah, it's a pretty, it's it's a Disneyland for, uh, for marketers and advertisers. You say a few years ago, I think it was actually like almost two decades ago. I think I was 16 <laughs> when I came. I was like in the Young Lions program. It's interesting. We're having this conversation about careers and pivots. And that was me as a very young person getting exposure to like the industry and creative ideas. And um, I never knew what I would be doing at this point, but it was really cool that I got to go to that. I remember. Yes. And, we, you know, we hung tough. We did a lot of great, fun things. And um, I think it probably sparked some of your interest in kind of pursuing people's hearts, minds, ears and eyes. Yes. And I'm sure creators is a big topic and influencers. So, you know, of course, I've done this huge pivot where I've decided corporate, me and corporate are no longer a thing. And I'm going to work on Naked Beauty full time. And I've been I love it. Yes, and you've been, you've been very encouraging. And I've been talking to people about making this pivot and advice that they have for me as I enter this kind of new season. My first question for you is, what advice do you have for me in terms of working for myself now that I'm almost two weeks into this journey of working on Naked Beauty full time? Uh, the advice that I have for you, Brooke, is to not try and um, recreate the earth in a week. Uh, you're very driven. You can multitask better than anyone I know. Um, not 100% of everything, but you can do 100 things at once. Um, and just to kind of slow your pace down a bit um, and and do more, uh, but less things. Do more with less things than trying to do more with everything. Because, you know, time is uh, can be eaten up with all kinds of ideas. And I think that you'll be very you know, judicious in deciding which ones you pursue, because there's a lot that's coming your way. I've been there. I've seen the your inbox of people reaching out to you and wanting to partner with you because of your your following and, and just your, your engagement levels. But I think that you have to just be really mindful about where you're going to spend your time, um, because you may think that, oh, now that I'm spending 100 percent of my time, 
on just me. I have 100% of the day to just focus on me. But you have to carve out time to think, to enjoy, um, and to build on what's going to be a beautiful future. That's great advice. I do find myself getting very excited about all of the possibilities and you can fill up. Yeah, you can fill up your whole day with just back to back to back meetings and work. And I do need to kind of pace myself a little bit more now for people that eventually want to work for themselves. One of the things that I'm hearing from people is I want to make this career pivot. I want to make this change, but my parents are not supportive of this, or my parents really feel that I should have job security, or my parents really want to make sure that I have health insurance, um, which is seems interesting, right? To be like in your thirties or in some people's cases, forties and, and be concerned about what their parents think. But I think it's a real concern. How do you think as a parent, people should talk to their family about making a decision like this? Well, I think the first thing is they have to know that that it comes from peace and love. It comes from a really, really good place. I mean, parents worry about their children's safety, stability, um, financial security, mental wellness. I mean, as parents, we worry about everything. And there's a formula that's in our head that leads to, you know, success in rainbows. And when we see something, a piece of the puzzle that seems, you know, not to fit in there, we have to question it. Um, but I think that, you know, it depends upon how strong the idea is for you. You have to be able to overcome it. You have to want it despite the odds. I think that a lot of people are successful because they were just too driven to hear people drown out their dreams. They were too driven to feel that they had to listen to someone else's expectations of them as opposed to listening to their inner voice. And you really have to have the strength of conviction to know that and have faith and bet on yourself. Because again, people are trying to protect you, um, but if it's safe and it's that easy, then everybody would do it. And I think that the only way you get to the finish line is to really, really push yourself and to, you know, the people that, you know, you've seen races where people lose it because they turn around and look to see who's behind them yes. and they miss their step. Uh, I think listening sometimes, but by the way, you have to, you should listen. You want to listen and get input. But at the end of the day, you have to have the peace and the the assurance that you know what's best for you and to continue to run that race toward the finish line. Um, despite, you know, all the obstacles that are in your way and coming up behind you. That's great advice. You just celebrated two years of building Becca and the growth has been incredible, but you've had decades working in corporate. And actually, I don't know that I ever thought that you would be an entrepreneur. You know, daddy was an entrepreneur and you and I kind of always talked about, you know, and it's an entrepreneur and you and I always kind of talked about like, well, you know, we like building companies and we like being at companies and the infrastructure that comes with that. Now that you're two years in, what's your perspective of entrepreneurship life versus working at a company? Well, I mean, that's a great question, Brooke, because first of all, I did not start out to be an entrepreneur when I started Becca. I did not start out to build a company. I did not start out to to build a movement, to be honest with you. What I started out to do was to make an impact was to really, really kind of collect all of the lessons that I had learned, all the mistakes, all the triumphs, all the experiences, and be able to pour that into others in a way that would allow them to achieve their dreams and get to where they wanted to go faster, uh, more confident, and more authentic. Mm -hmm. Because I heard all the things that people said to me about what I couldn't do and what I shouldn't do. I heard people say that I, you know, you should be happy for the level that you're at or your compensation is really good. And I always say, 
they didn't follow it by saying for a black woman. Uh, and so when I looked at all the things that I had to overcome, um, a, a bit on my own, but a bit of having really, really strong mentors, I really wanted to get the collective power of others that had been to the C-suite to say, can we come together and create an opportunity for us to really coach, care for, and nurture the next generation of Black marketing leaders. Very intentional about the name of it. It was Black. It was not BIPOC. It was not underrepresented. It was not people of color. It was not minority. It was not. It was Black. And it was Black executive because I wanted to, to telegraph again that these were people that were in the C-suite that were at the top of their game at some of the biggest companies in the world and their presidents and their CEOs and their SVPs and EVPs, but that we don't get, we're not overly impressed with ourselves. What we are impressed with is the dent. I was compelled to do this and I don't even know where it, I know where it came from. It came out of frustration, but setting up the infrastructure of trademarking, um, you know, a name and a, a building a website and, you know, creating a board and bylaws and all of that, I did that in my career for others, but never thought I would do it for myself. So to answer your question, I just want to say that I think it's a lot harder than people think being on your own. But boy, is it much more rewarding. And I think that that why one of the common things as I'm talking to people is like you have to have a why that's motivating you to push you through those hard, uncomfortable moments and to have you burn the midnight oil to make your dreams come true and and make what you want for your organization to come true by having a very clear purpose and intention behind the work. And you definitely have that with Becca. Right now, you are at this uh, advertising conference in the south of France in Cannes. And I'm sure creators is a conversation that's coming up a lot. As you know, I've been for the past basically five years working in the creator economy at a company and being a creator the whole time. I mean, people listening probably don't even know that like I had a fashion blog when I was in high school. I was like always taking pictures, yes. always documenting, yes. always yes. creating, you know, way before Instagram. And do you see the industry overall shifting towards creators? Absolutely. In fact, I was at a session and this person stood up and what you were, you thought you were they were going to do was talk all about, you know, how they've embraced the creator economy and all the great successes. And here is what we submitted into Cannes for a jury award. She stood up and she said, the first thing I'm going to say is pay your creators. <laughs> pay your creators what they're worth, not what you think they'll take. Mm. She said, because they are going to change the trajectory of your business, your success, your engagement, and your brand reputation. So pay them. She said, and not only pay them, but bring them into the company in a way that respects the gifts that they got, they have. Wow. And I and I went up to her later and I said, you know, as the mother of a creator, I have to thank you for that uh, because I used to have the conversation that said, find them first of all, because that was considered below the line. Right. Mm. It was like if we have money left over, yeah, maybe we'll get someone to say something. I said, so, you know, the idea of thinking something is below the line is uh, in this day and time is so outdated. It is not modern marketing. It's not recognizing how you can amplify storytelling in ways that you never, ever could with the best agencies in the world. And so I say find them. She says, pay them. And then the third is use them. I think one of the things that I'm very plagued with, and I'm realizing this, I always feel like there's more that I could be doing with Naked Beauty. Like, I always feel like someone brought up the other day to me, like, you know, you've been in L.A. You still haven't done an L.A. event. You know, I need to do an L.A. event. Um, I don't have an email newsletter. I need to build in an email newsletter. 
there's always so much you can do. One of the things I'm struggling with is this nagging feeling that there's always more that I could be doing. Well, the answer is yes, there's always more that you could be doing. But sometimes, you know, the pursuit of what's to come um, prevents you from enjoying what's already here. And putting a lot of things is how we started the conversation, Brooke, putting all these things on your plate to do and feeling that you have to do them um, is never going to lead you to a point where you can honestly do because you're very detailed. You like things done well. And I think it comes down to what helped me was really having a strategic plan. What do I really want to do? But more importantly, what can I do? What can I do and do well? And so now, two years into it, my mind kind of, I'll hear an idea and I'm running through. Can we do it? What would it take? What would it look like? And it goes faster now that I say, yeah, no. Or, wow, yes, because I'm run, I run my brain through the traps of what success looks like. The final question I'll ask you that I've been asking everyone for this discussion is, what do you know now, two years into working for yourself and building your organization that you wish you knew at the very beginning. Oh, wow, Brooke. So you, you were supposed to send me some pre-reads so I think about this. I'm, I'm thinking about this extemporaneously right now. What do I know now that I wish I had knew, known when I started? You know what? I think it's actually a good one because I always think about, oh, God, if they had told me how, how hard I was going to work, if, that, if I had known um, the impact that Becca would have on so many people, I would have probably started it sooner. Right. And I had to be in a place where I had the time and the energy to do that. But if I think about it, I could have maybe started to plant some seeds of doing this when I was actually working in a corporate role. Um, as demanding as that was, I could, just a little corner of time I could have spent so that I would have been we would have been able to impact more lives. But now that we're into it. And like along the Quasette here in Cannes, people like, I've heard of Becca. I've gotten so many LinkedIn requests. Um, we have future leaders here. We have Becca members here. We have our logo on Step and Repeats. I mean, you know, we're getting to be known and I'm really proud of that. But it's only, and I see where you get it, Brooke, it's only a corner. It's, a, but it's you know, one starfish tossing back into the ocean full of millions that, you know, that I want to be able to do because, you know, I, I want to help our people. I want to help young black marketers and do everything that I can because this has now become more like legacy. I don't want to be known for what I did. I want to be known for who I helped. Uh, and when you're talking in those terms, I want to help as many people as possible. Yes, that's a good North Star to have and certainly something I will take to heart as I build the Naked Beauty community. And I love that Naked Beauty listeners found you and can and said hello. That's very cool. Oh, wait, that, yeah, they, no, they have found me because I always tell people, you know, I used to be somebody. I used to be Jerry. People say, oh, are you Jerry DeVar? And they do it now. They say, oh, you're Brooke's mom. And I go, yes. That's and nice. I always take a picture. You know, I send it to you from all over the world. I told you I have two today that stopped me that said, you're Brooke's mom. I listened to her podcast. I love it. I always take a picture of them. I thank them. I tell them, you know, what a, what a pleasure it is to meet them. And I send it to you. So you have fans all over the world, Brooke.
Wow. Listening back to that, I feel so grateful to have my mom as a role model and a mentor in addition to being my mother. Now, I also am a huge believer in peer mentors, people that aren't necessarily more experienced than you or older than you, but people that have careers who you admire, that you go to for advice. And Madison Utendahl is one of those people for me. What we have in common is parents that probably expected us to follow a more traditional career path. And as I discussed with my mom, it can be seen as radical to stray from that path. So I was really curious how Madison approached it, but also what she's been challenged with as she builds her business as an entrepreneur. I also have the pleasure of working with Madison in a professional capacity, in addition to us being friends, because she is doing my whole Naked Beauty brand identity redesign, which I'm so excited about. But she gave me such amazing advice. Let's get into the conversation with Madison. Okay, Madison, thank you so much for being back on Naked Beauty and like a topic like you are truly an expert on. Thank you for having me. So as you know, and we've been discussing this, I feel like you you knew this was coming. You you're aware of Naked Beauty and the evolution of Yes, Naked I knew. <laughs> Your wonderful team is helping to up-level the branding and the visual identity. But you have kind of walked this path that I'm now walking where you have decided to work for yourself and build your own company. So I would love to hear a little bit about what you were doing before you started your own company. Yeah, for sure. You know, I had dreamt of being an entrepreneur, but I feel like I actually lost sight of that dream once I got into the workforce. Um, so I spent the majority of my career working for huge companies like HBO or then then went to midsize, was at Refinery29 for many years, and then eventually moved into um, working for smaller brands in their early stages like Museum of Ice Cream and Bandier and Lemon Perfect. And I just kind of got to this point where I realized from a cost perspective of like, you know, we all have a certain amount of hours and days in our lives and did this make sense for me to be spending my time in this capacity for just from a cost perspective, working for somebody else? And the answer just simply, when you write it down, you actually do the math is no. <laughs> and that was the birth of it. Okay. So you, you were motivated primarily by time, how you were spending your time and your like kind of economic opportunity. Time, economic opportunity, and also just this like deep belief that the way that the American labor force and work system, despite if you were in corporate America like I was, um, was designed, was outdated and needed to be reconsidered. And I didn't want to subscribe to it anymore. I just, I've always felt that the way we work and how we work in this country was disconnected from how we live. I could not relate to that more. One of the questions that I feel like you are in a unique position to answer, you, like me, have, um, you know, your dad was in corporate. You also went to a great school. You went to Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I went mm-hmm. to a college where it was, expe- you know, I think there's not an expectation that you will go forth and work for a great company and have job security. But I'm curious how your parents and family reacted to your decision to go out on your own? You know, the honest, I have two answers to that. And there's one that's the honest answer, which is that I didn't tell them. Um, I didn't tell them. I made the decision. Yeah, I didn't tell my parents that I was on my own for probably six months. I told them that I was still working for Museum of Ice Cream. 
Wow. Okay. That's a big secret. Yeah. 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 And it just be, I realized that I was, I, when I left museum of ice cream, which I've been very open about, I was in a super vulnerable place. I was extremely burnt out. And I found that I was hypersensitive to other people's opinions about what I should do at that time in my life. I felt like I was such a shell of myself that very easily swayed depending on what someone thought. And so I knew that in order for me to really pursue entrepreneurship based upon where I was from an emotional and self-worth perspective, that it really required for me to go insular and to seek internal validation before I went external. Yes. So I really didn't tell anybody. I had a very quiet departure intentionally so that I could just listen to my inner voice and go with how I felt And so it took me about three to six months to get to the place where I was like, I'm confidently, proudly doing this. Your opinions are welcome, but I know I've made the right decision for myself at this point. No one can persuade me elsewhere. You know, they can't push me in any other direction because here I'm committed. It's six months in. It's just an opinion from anyone else. That's great to hear. And making that decision quietly on your own, I feel like there's a ton of value in that. Now, in terms of once you do start having no boss, working for yourself, what are some of the unforeseen challenges? Yeah, Um, I think the unforeseen challenge is that you think you're going to have all the time in the world. But if you're type A, like I am, you end up just filling your time. Yeah. So the naivete of like, oh, I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to have all this time and I'm finally going to write my book and like finish my screenplay and like paint that oil painting is just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like you have to be really uh, methodical and serious about the fact that your free time to be creative is you're in charge of that, whether you work for someone else or you don't. And becoming an entrepreneur, if you have a deep willpower and desire to succeed like I do, means that you still have to carve time. And that was a huge awareness and wake up for me because I really thought I was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and consultant and have all the time in the world. And no, that's not what I did. I ended up filling my schedule with all these clients and calls. And I actually ended up being in a very, I was much happier but I was in a similar place of like the time I wanted to write, to work on my screenplay, to work on the book was just filled in the same way it had been filled when I had a boss. And so my advice is like, be super intentional and thoughtful of that time and carve it out, stick to it and realize like you're in charge of it always. Even when you work for someone else, you're in charge of it. And you're also in charge of it when you work for yourself. Yes. And burnout is something that you have talked about very passionately. And I know it's what you were experiencing kind of at the end of your time working at Museum of Ice Cream. Mm-hmm. But talk to me a little bit about burnout as an entrepreneur as well. Because yeah. you have a team, you have people that, um, you know, depend on you, you have clients, you have yeah. demands. Yeah, it's a, it's a different kind of burnout. Um, I, I find it's not even half as heavy maybe that's because I'm aware that it's somewhat self-inflicted. And so I feel if I have autonomy to cause this, I also have autonomy to heal from it in the way that I did not feel when I worked for other people. It was like my boss set my schedule. My boss told me if I could go on vacation. So this idea of recovery from burnout never felt within my grasp Mm -hmm. versus when I burn myself out now, I know how to reset and I have the agency and autonomy to. 
However, the burnout that comes with entrepreneurship, and at this point I have, I mean, you know better than anyone, I have a full-fledged company of, of six to eight people, um, and at times we can be 10 to 12. It's, the burnout is more along the, what I find, the social responsibility of what it means to know that you are in charge of someone else's livelihood. Right. And the social responsibility that comes with, uh, I'm just really bad at letting people go. I have never have been the type to, of person. Have you had to yeah. hire someone? I have. I've had mm-hmm. to let go of people um, for all sorts of reasons. And sometimes it's, you know, I, I once, I actually went, I've been let go once in my entire life. And it was, and my boss at the time said to me, it's like, this, this job is not serving you. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was like, how dare they make that decision? They don't know. But they were right. It wasn't. <laughs> and uh, most in, in the circumstances that I've had to let people go, it was because I, I really felt like this this environment was not serving them. Um, but it's it, the burnout's different. The burnout is is an emotional burnout. It's wrapping your head around also that like you're not, even though you're a boss, like you're just not responsible for everyone's well-being. Right. Like people have to go home and do the work. You can create, uh, you know, creative, you got a good life. You get five weeks paid, whole company closes, you have unlimited vacation, you've got tons of benefits. But if you don't go home and do the work that says, like, I love myself, I am worthy of being successful, I prioritize my joy, then you and all creative is just another place to work. Right. Right. And so that's the hard part. That's the part that burns me out is trying to trying to ingrain in other people values belief systems that ultimately they have to go home to that has nothing to do with me and that i've struggled with as an entrepreneur and as a boss i burn out all the time because i'm trying so hard for somebody else before myself and so it's learning as a boss to like realize like you know your olamide said this to me she was like your mental health matters too you know Yes. And, and you know, it's you know? So funny. I think about that a lot. Like I cannot have my mental health suffer doing a wellness podcast, right? Like I, yes. I talk to people every Monday about beauty inside and out and finding balance and finding joy in the pursuit of building this and scaling it. I can't have my mental health suffer because that kind of goes against everything I stand for and believe in. So it's really important to keep that as kind of a North star. and it's hard, right? It's super hard because ultimately the same passion that drives anyone to be a successful career person as in corporate America, most likely it's the same passion that's going to drive anybody to be successful as an entrepreneur, right? It's It's a willpower. It's a desire to create and build something. Yes. And no matter if it's a wellness podcast or if it's an agency that prioritizes rest like my own, you're still operating within the constraints of wanting to do great work in the world. Yes. And that's hard not to burn out. It just it is. is. It is. I forgot to eat lunch yesterday. It was not. It was not. Yeah, exactly. Now, for people that are listening to this and they're in a corporate career, they work for someone else, but they have this feeling, this inkling that they want to go out and work for themselves. And maybe they, I mean, in, in any capacity, maybe they don't want to start their own agency, but they know I long term, I do not want to work for someone else. What advice would you give them about making that decision and making that jump? You have to know your why. 
you can't just quit and say you want to start a company with having without having any real motivation of why. What kind of company and why do you want to start it? My motivation when I started my business was to create a space for for women, specifically women of color, to feel like they could show up as themselves creatively because I had just been really sick and tired of being in spaces where I felt like I was needing to code switch or to like s- suppress my creativity to fit in this like super white male environment. So my why was very clear. It's like I'm starting a space that challenges that that norm that we've conditioned in the agency landscape of this very, you know, predominantly white male environment. So I get up every day with a really clear purpose. And if you're just leaving your job because you want to go start something, but you have no idea what that is, I would encourage you to take some time to like, at least write down what it could be. Right. Right. Just what could that why be? If you don't know what the why is, there's definitely, you definitely can distill what it could be and spend that time, spend that time. Cause then you won't have regrets in the same way. And the other advice I always give to people when they want to be, leave their jobs to pursue entrepreneurship is you have to really create a work back schedule. Like know when you're quitting your job and work backwards. Don't just wake up one day and say, okay, I'm going to quit. You're never going to quit that way. Yes. Yes. Have a plan. Create a have plan. A timeline. Have to yes. have a plan. Yes. And I accountability. See. I had calendar dates on my that I sent to friends and family. That was like my last day, so that oh, other people really? were accountable. Yeah. Not my That's... parents. I wouldn't tell them, but my sister and friends. <laughs> I love that tip. That's a great tip. <laughs> yeah. Final final question for you. What do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your journey as an entrepreneur? that my number one asset is confidence. Mm. This just the deep belief I have now that I can do this is my one of my biggest strengths that I spent the first couple of years of my entrepreneurship journey questioning and doubting in myself. And it was a really a waste of time. Mm. Because ultimately, if you don't believe you, you should be somewhere, no one else will. <laughs> That's so you know true. what I mean? That's so Like true. you have to believe that you should be there. You have to believe that you should be the CEO of that company because why is anyone else going to give you like, Hey, I have a podcast, but I don't know if anyone wants to listen to it. It's not any good. No one's going to join your podcast. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm right. like, I have an agency, like give us a lot of money. Like maybe we'll design a good brand for you. No one's going to, who's going to do that? No right. one. Right. Confidence is key. And even if you don't believe it, hey, affirmations, it's all about putting in the reps. Put in the reps of your affirmation and eventually you will believe it. I love that. Madison is just such a gem. And if you haven't heard our full episode, definitely check it out. Now, throughout my career, my parents have also taught me to seek professional mentors in the workplace, people that were doing amazing things at any company I worked with, no matter how senior they were. I was supposed to always put myself forward, introduce myself, and let them know about my work and who I was and what I was seeking to do at the company. This is advice I've taken every place I've worked at. And I met Liz Paley, who you're going to hear from next, working at Ralph Lauren. I was a social media manager. I was overseeing all of the luxury brands for social at Ralph Lauren, working on the Instagram calendar 
there. It was such a busy job. It was a fun job, but it was a very busy job. And Liz was just one of those people I met early on. And I said, okay, I need to have you in my corner. She has such incredible advice all the time. And she left her corporate career and started her own company. So naturally, I had to go to her for advice for this episode. All right, Liz, well, thank you so much for being on Naked Beauty. So excited to have this conversation with you. My pleasure. Excited to talk to you. We met now, wow, years ago when I was working at Ralph Lauren and I always admired what you were doing. And I think it was, I think it was Paul who said, you have to connect with Liz. She's doing really interesting work. And from the very first moment I met in your office, I was like, wow, Liz is really smart and she's very thoughtful and warm and kind. And this is someone that I want to be in touch with. And all of these years later, we're still in touch. And I'm so grateful for that. Oh, I, it's been my pleasure. As I told you, you're one of the easiest people to mentor, guide, and I'm so proud and impressed by what you've accomplished. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I've taken this big jump of, and it's not just about leaving Instagram. I'm, I'm, it's really about this idea of leaving corporate behind entirely, like deciding that for now, at least I want to work for myself and bet on myself. And I know you've had a very long, incredible corporate career. And now my Many years ago, you left to start your own consulting firm. So I want to hear what that experience was like for you. Sure. So, I mean, in, I like you, I spent a fair number of years in corporate America. For me, it was close to 28 years, wow. uh, 14 of them at Ralph Lauren, 14 of them at different advertising agencies. I was very happy in corporate America. I liked the feeling of sort of working for something bigger than myself. I like following in the footsteps of smart people, and I liked paving the way for other smart people. Um, on a personal level, I like that feeling, real or perceived, of security. Um, and that's a whole other topic, but that you have a perceived sense of security in a corporation, like someone else is taking care right. of certain things, whether they're as small as making sure you don't run out of copy paper or toner, or as big as as a 401k and health insurance. And so I would say for 27 of those years, it never occurred to me to not be in corporate America because I thought it was a great thing. And what was that like when you decided okay, I'm going to go out on my own. What was the reaction from friends, family, former colleagues? So the reaction I would say was different from friends and family than it was from bosses, colleagues, team members. So from friends and family, they were shocked because I am someone who for all those years in corporate life described myself as risk averse and was someone who friends and family knew me to be very happy in corporate America. What was interesting from clients and bosses and colleagues and mentors was, oh, this is amazing. This will be amazing. You'll be so great at this. And I was surprised by that. But everyone, once I described the kind of work I thought I wanted to do, everyone was supportive. 
but I think it would be helpful for people to hear a little bit about what framework does, because I think that all of that experience in corporate allowed you to do this work now, which I also think is something that for people that have worked in corporate are thinking about, okay, what transferable skills do I have? A lot of times it is that corporate experience that allows you to be an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so the kind of work I do now, leadership and team development, corporate strategy, and internal and external communications, organizational development. So that sounds like a bunch of different disparate things, but it's actually the collection of things that in my experience in corporate America, great leaders think about and believe are important, but often have to push to the side or deprioritize because there are so many pressing, operational, keep the trains running, work to do. So what, how I describe my business is that framework, name of my company is framework, framework builds in what often gets left out. So it's not a silver bullet. It's just the idea that I really understand, especially having been a leader of an in-house agency of over 100 people, a leader of a digital team of 50 people, and then the chief of staff to a president and COO of a public company. I really understand what those day-to-day pressures are and how these kinds of things can get set aside. So for sure, it's the visibility and the experience that I gained to that viewpoint let me then craft a consulting practice that took all the things I loved to do and felt I was best skilled at and sort of rolled it into, I often describe myself as a sort of an extra brain, extra thought partner, extra pen for that executive or executive team. And does it feel so gratifying to be able to help people in this way? Like, do you feel like an extreme sense of job fulfillment? I would imagine, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I felt fulfilled in a corporate role, but it was interesting. In corporate roles, I think my greatest source of fulfillment came from watching people I taught and nurtured and guided, watching them ascend and watching them take on bigger challenges, bigger teams, take on a role they hadn't thought about before. And I felt so proud of having advocated for them here, the fulfillment comes from when a client or a client team says, we could not have done this without you, or we wouldn't have done this without you because we just wouldn't have been able to find the time. We wouldn't have invested the energy wordsmithing something and refining it. Um, and so it's that's unbelievably fulfilling. I can imagine. So what are the unforeseen challenges? What do I have coming around the corner as I, as I embark on this journey. So I think one is um, time management is a very different thing when you work for yourself. Um, At least in my experience, it has been, you know, when you're inside any corporate structure, even if you think you're managing your time, there's really this larger entity, you know, there are the recurring weekly meetings and the touch bases and the milestones and the check-ins. And you realize that that provides the architecture 
master of your time. And then you populate the other time with thinking time, working time, project time. For me, when I started working for myself, that initial feeling of going from a calendar with a dozen meetings a day to suddenly a blank page that you now fill in, it can be incredibly liberating because the dream part of it is, oh, I'm going to work based on my own circadian rhythm. I'm not going to go to the gym at five in the morning. I'm going to go at four in the afternoon because that's when my body wants to. And then you realize very quickly that that highly liberating feeling, you can fritter away your days and not get things done on the work front. Your house is clean. Your body is toned. <laughs> right. All kinds right. of other things have happened. Right. So I think think as somebody who really saw herself as disciplined and buttoned up and didn't think I would have any issue with that, I really had to figure out what are the time management hacks that work in this kind of free range environment. What are those hacks? I have, I I think I figured out some for myself, which is just sending myself calendar invites with deliverables in the calendar invite. Like from this time to this time, you're doing this. Um, Yes. and this is the end product. You're going to, this video will be ed- edited at the end of this 30 minute block. Um, yes. What do you, what else do you do for kind of time management? So that's one of mine for sure. I also, I start, I look at a month. And so if it's the 28th to the 30th or 31st, I look at the next month and I kind of map it out broadly and I do it on paper. And I, I love so, paper. I, I love paper. So I have a big pad. I have four blocks, one for each week of the month. And I think about what is due within that month. And then I kind of assign what are big projects, smaller projects. I try to estimate, never perfect science, but I try to estimate the time I think I need, thinking time, writing time for each of those. And then I take that monthly view and then I really break it down into a weekly list of the deliverables and the deadlines. And then like you, I block time and it won't ever say something as general as work time. It will say, write Girls Inc. workshop discussion guide. And I really think about the time I need to do something because I find that corporate America defaults to every meeting being an hour and it can eat up a lot of time and most meetings don't need an hour. So I get really tight and think about, do I need 15 minutes to do that? 30 minutes, 45 or 60. That makes so much sense. I forgot to eat lunch yesterday because I had scheduled so much and I was doing so much and it was five o'clock and I was like, I didn't eat lunch today. Uh-huh. Do you do you find that? I think one of the things that I'm realizing is I thought that when I left my job to focus on naked beauty full time, I would have so much more free time. But yeah. I'm finding that I'm working so much harder than I've ever yeah. worked before. It's only been a week, but I'm like, okay, let, let's slow it down. Let's build in some break time, some lunch time so you don't burn out completely. I find I'm working harder. Did you find that as well? I do. I'm working differently. So I would say one of the things that someone said to me, and then a couple other people repeated it. And I joke that I want to, you know, call them and let them know it couldn't be farther from the truth. They said, I'm so happy you're going out on your own. After all those years in corporate America, you're going to work half as much and earn twice as much. It couldn't be farther than the truth. So I feel fortunate to be earning what I want to earn, but 
the it's sort of you own everything. Right. And you're never off the clock. You're never off. Yeah. And, you know, so can you decide? I work for myself. I'm taking Thursday off and I'm going to museums and I'm going to spend the whole day with Mavi and I'm going to feel great about being a mom. You absolutely can. But come the weekend, <laughs> you will feel so angsty. Right. And so, you know what? It's family time. So I'm going to get up three hours earlier so right. I can do these. So again, it's that how you figure out how to manage your time. Yes, but I think it comes from a good place, right? It like comes from this place of having a lot of energy and excitement about the things that you want to accomplish. But you just kind of have to temper it with, with breaks. Final question for you that I've been asking everyone that I'm speaking to, and I've had a range of answers, but what do you wish you knew at the start of your journey that you now know today? So I would say two things. One is that where you think your business is going what exactly what you think your business is going to be might not end up being exactly what it is so for you you know you're now dedicating all of your professional brain power to something that you have already started mm -hmm. but it may evolve and morph and expand and extend in ways that right now whatever strategy and business plan and future casting you're doing, just know that it might be different. It might be more, might be, it, it just might shape shift. So think, I would say, think about how to set goals and objectives for yourself that give you room mm. um, for it to be different. So you don't feel like, oh, I said that by this date, it would be this. And now it's not. And I'm disappointed in myself. Um, okay, that's very helpful to hear. The other thing I would say is, rem I wish I had known that in addition to seeking counsel and perspective and wisdom from other people, that I should also seek my own. That's amazing to hear. And I so appreciate that advice around trusting yourself. I get a lot of, you know, you should be fundraising, you should do this, you should be selling a product, you, should, you know. I hear it all. And it is so good to check in with yourself and say, okay, what do I really believe in and what feels right to me? So I really, really appreciate that, that specific nugget of wisdom. Thank you so much, Liz. This has been so great to chat with you. That wisdom about trusting yourself is so golden. Now, one of the threads I see between all three of the people I've interviewed before is how your career in corporate can allow you to build your next business. A lot of people feel like they want to break out and do their own thing, and they may not have experience in the thing that they want to do, but I think it's really important to stay aware of what transferable skills you have. My mom would not have been able to build Becca, Liz would not have been able to build Framework, unless she had spent all of that time in corporate learning the ins and outs of how to run a company. Continuing on the theme of seeking out people in corporate doing amazing things, I knew about Malcolm before I even started working at Ralph Lauren. He was doing incredible work with Calvin Klein. I'm sure you all remember the My Calvin's campaign. It was a first of its kind social media campaign, working with creators and musicians. And this hadn't been done before. This was like 2015, 2016. 
that Malcolm did this incredible work. And even if you don't know Carfrey Consulting, they're the reason why you see Dr. Barbara Sturm absolutely everywhere. He has incredible clients. If you go to his Instagram, he's like hanging out in the English countryside with Zoe Saldana and working with incredible clients like Restoration Hardware. And yes, Malcolm has a fabulous life, but he's known for his work, which is what I think we all want, right? So I got to talk to him about how I pace myself and tackle this next chapter. Well, I've always looked up to you for your innovation, and I'm excited to have this conversation as I'm on this new journey of deciding I am not going to work in corporate anymore. I'm not going to work for a company. I'm going to work for myself. So I'd love to hear from you how many years you worked in corporate and then how many years you've been running Carfrey Consulting. Well, first of all, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Congratulations. You will always look back on this day and think, why didn't I do that earlier? Why did, why did I wait? Um, but I think it's, you're making such an amazing, and I know you're going to kill it because you're fantastic and you're so smart. And since the moment I, I worked with you at Ralph Lauren, I, I really saw that. I'd love to hear from you when you first, first went, maybe your first year of doing car free consulting, what was the most surprising to you about working for yourself? You know, I'd been working for 20 years in for larger companies, um, especially Calvin Klein and Ralph Lauren. When I, you know, from that was, um, you know, 13 years of my life living in, you know, in New York and working for big, big brands. Um, you always, you know, you worked with a big team. There was always someone to count on to, to, to execute something I needed to have done. I, I think when I started my own company, the first thing I realized was, wow, it's me. I'm by myself. On top of being strategic, I had to learn basic mechanics um, of working for myself, which, you know, financial mechanics, invoicing, writing proposals, doing decks, um, making reservations, booking on my travel, things that I had always had an executive assistant to help me with. Um, I had to do my, I had to do by myself. And I did have an, when I first started, I had an intern who helped me for the first six months before I made my first hire. And those days were challenging and also kind of kind of fun because i almost had to go back to you know ground ground zero in terms of, of, of how i was working um and i think that was probably that was probably probably the thing i really noticed most because the job itself is the job i know how i know knew how to do communications i knew how to to build brands i knew how to um to amplify launches and products that was all part of my my dna of, of my, but I think when you start your own company, you you really realize that you have to know a little bit of everything if you're going to be su- successful. I think one of the things that I'm really struggling with is how to manage your time when you're your own boss, right? There are so many opportunities. There's so many things you could do. There's so many things that you feel like maybe I should do. How did you figure out how to manage your time and set your schedule? I think that for me, I when I when I started on started my own company, I was very aware that my time was my own and I really wanted to structure it differently. I wanted to be able to take time, some time for myself. And that's not always easy when you're working for yourself because the boundaries blur incredibly. But I did, I did know that I wanted to not have to get up at six o'clock and be at the gym at six 30. I knew I wanted to be able to wake up and breathe. And I wanted to wake up and be able to kind of just really think about what my day was going to look like. And, um, and I wanted to be able to go for a walk with my husband and my dog in the mornings and get grab a coffee and and then go to the gym and then right. start my day. 
So right. I think that that was that was one thing I, I really was very adamant about working, you know, starting work at the because really the, the morning for me is any time I can take any kind of personal time. I don't think I ever really figured out the pattern. I think I, what I worked out was how many clients it was ideal for me to, ha- to have in terms of my workload because I knew it had to, I had to be attentive to my yes. clients' needs. I had to be pers- I had to personally show up for them. It wasn't it wasn't okay for me to give that duty to somebody else. And how, and what is that magic number of how many clients do you feel like you can take on? It kind of varies from, from time to time, but it's generally speaking, you know, around the eight, around eight, around eight clients, eight to 10, I would say. Um, I think more than that, it's, it gets hard for me to, um, to really be, be present personally. Um, and, and I think that's a very, when, when you build a company built, you know, when you start a company built on your own reputation and your own experience, it's, it's important to be able to do, to do that. Um, and I also didn't want to, with all due respect to my, to my competitors and my, um, my peers, I didn't want to, uh, to found a huge company. I didn't want to have a big agency with 50 clients and 50 employees. It just was never my plan to do that. I wanted to be I wanted to work with my clients in a way that felt that I was partially a consultant and partially part of their in-house team. Yes. I think it's so gratifying to hear you say that you wanted to focus on just having a handful of clients, because one of the things that I've been thinking about as a creator, as I talk about skincare brands is how do I create long-standing relationships with just a few brands? Like I don't need to be talking about a different brand on my feed every week because one that really you know, you lose credibility that way, but two, you're not able to go as deep with your audience or the brand on the products. I've been thinking about, okay, can I, can I work out my partnerships in a way where they're long-term partnerships with brands that I really love versus just everyone that comes into my inbox and has an offer for me to make a TikToker reel saying yes to. I I think that I completely agree with you. And for me, that was always my plan. And, and, and that's why, um, I am not really able to take on projects anymore. I, I, I'm so busy with my my annual retainer clients that I just, I cannot take on kind of small things unless it's a really something I really can't say no to, which does happen. Um, <laughs> generally speaking, um, I I think that it's, you know, what I, I know what what my retainer is coming in every month. I know what, what it's going to look like. I am, I'm able to to focus entirely on on making that work um i think that i would be i would be nervous about waiting for the next month and you know what's what am i going to work this month am i not going to work this month which projects will happen then you have like you know an economic crisis or a health crisis and you're like what what's going to happen to me um you know it's right i think for some people make it work incredibly well and i'm jealous of them for me i need to have that security personally the last question and Maybe the most important question, which which is, what do you wish you knew at the start of your journey as an entrepreneur that you know today? It's an interesting question, but I think I'm probably, um, I'm in a different situation probably than a lot of entrepreneurs because I did work in corporate America for, for so long before I started. So I think that, um, I don't know if there was anything that I think about now that I, I wish I knew back then. I think that I've just accrued knowledge about being an entrepreneur day by day. And I don't beat myself up about things, about mistakes I made, about, you know, the one or two clients that I took on that weren't a, that, that weren't a good fit. Um, 
I think that I just, I, what I I'm happy with now is that I, I am secure that I've, I have the experience now in running my own business to know what works and what doesn't work. And I think that making those mistakes early on in your entrepreneurial career is are very important. I think, you know, mistakes make you a better person. If you can live and learn from them, fantastic. I don't actually regret anything. And I don't wish that I knew anything back then because it was all part of the journey I had to take. And that got me here today. That's amazing. Well, I'll, I'll give myself a grace in this first year and also expect that I may make some mistakes. I shouldn't say may make some mistakes. I will make some mistakes and that's okay. And part of the journey. I think and giving yourself grace is a perfect way of, of expressing it because it is challenging and it's also incredible, incredibly liberating and exciting, but you know, there will be, there will be things you'd be like, I just don't know how to handle this. And I will tell you that in, in those kinds of situations, having colleagues and friends, you can reach out to and say, Hey, listen, I know you have your own business, but how would you handle this? It's sometimes really nice, whether you follow their advice or not, to be able to have a handful of people who are in a very similar situation. But having people that you can, I know you can always you can always contact me and ask me, but it's I think having a handful of people that you can just ask advice on is really helpful because sometimes you need a gut check. Absolutely. It's like colleagues, even though you don't work at the same company, you still have right. to have those peers you can check in with. I love that advice. Well, thank you so much, Malcolm, for your time and perspective on this episode. So, so helpful to me. And I know it will be helpful to other people. Too. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. And that concludes the conversations on this episode of Naked Beauty. Thank you all for listening. Today's episode was produced by MBA Kasanga. And if these conversations resonated with you, I'd love a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell me how the conversation made you feel. You can always reach me at Naked Beauty Planet. And as you're listening, I always love when you share a screenshot and tag me at Naked Beauty Planet because I love to see how you all listen to the podcast. And I really owe everything to you all, my listeners and supporters, because if it weren't for your support, I would not even be able to begin to make this transition into doing naked beauty full-time so thank you thank you thank you it means the world to me and i don't take it for granted for even a second thank hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thank you. Lots more incredible episodes coming your way. Make sure you're subscribed to Naked Beauty on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. I've got such exciting conversations coming up that you will not want to miss. 